Welcome to the West Virginia Writers Podcast, a service of West Virginia Writers Incorporated, the Mountain State's largest all-volunteer nonprofit organization dedicated to writers. Established and incorporated in 1977, West Virginia Writers continues to support writers and writing statewide through program sponsorship, an annual writing contest, and an annual Summer Writers Conference. This podcast is dedicated to promoting the organization, its members, and events, as well as writers throughout Appalachia and beyond. And now, broadcasting from atop a hill in Mercer County, here is your host, El Presidente, Emeritus. Thank you, Gertrude, and hola, listeners. Welcome to part two of episode 30 of the West Virginia Writers Podcast. In this episode, we continue to hear poems recorded at the Spoken Word event held in Wheeling as part of the Ogle Bay Institute's Imagination Celebration. This particular event was sponsored by Wheeling's Independent Theater Collective. And in fact, our very first reader in this part of the podcast is the president and co-founder of the ITC, Mr. Jeremy Richter. Jeremy is an award-winning playwright and theater artist who recently received the Outstanding Original Script Award from the Southeastern Theater Conference and the American Association of Community Theater for his play Catch and Release. His original musical, Best Imitation, will receive an extended run in Wheeling this June and then tour to Charleston for the festival event, followed by the Capitol Fringe Festival in Washington, D.C., and, I'm proud to say, he played nearly one-half of my two-and-a-half character play, To a Flame, that the Independent Theater Collective produced this past September. He'll reprise that role when West Virginia Writers participates in Festival this coming June. Jeremy Richter. I am reading uh, uh, Mark Twain piece, one of his later pieces. And uh, it's uh, The War Prayer. I don't know, at least from what I've come across, I, I, I hadn't heard of it or even known of it, actually just a couple of years ago. This was written, or actually dictated, uh, around 1904, and it was actually in, in direct um, uh, uh, protest of the uh, U.S. occupation of the Philippines after the Spanish-American War. Um, it is uh, an exceptional piece. I, I'm, I'm in love with this piece. A lot of his later work uh, was, was a lot darker than, than a lot of the things that, that you read or have heard about or have been made into movies. Um, it is my goal, and I've been researching a, a lot about this that uh, over the last couple of years, to write um, uh, a full-scale uh, play uh, inspired by this and, and launched off of this. There are a lot of similarities um, uh, between the occupation that happened after the Spanish-American War and some things that are going on now, which is uh, um, of interest, great interest to me. So this is The War Prayer by uh, Mark Twain. <coughs> It was a great time of great and exalting excitement. The country was up in arms. The war was on. In every breast burned the holy fire of patriotism. The drum, the drums were beating, the bands playing, the toy pistols popping, the bunched firecrackers hissing and spluttering. On every hand, and far down the receding and fading spread of roofs and balconies, a fluttering wilderness of flags flashed in the sun. Daily, the young volunteers marched down the wide avenue, gay and fine in their new uniforms. The proud fathers and mothers and sisters and sweethearts cheering them with voices choked with happy emotion as they swung by. Nightly, the packed mass meetings listened, panting to patriot oratory, which stirred the deepest deeps of their hearts. 
and which they interrupted at briefest intervals with cyclones of applause, the tears running down their cheeks the while. In the churches, the pastors preached devotion to flag and country and invoked the God of battles beseeching his aid in our good cause in outpourings of fervid eloquence which moved every listener. It was indeed a glad and gracious time and the half dozen rash spirits that ventured to disapprove of the war and cast doubt upon its righteousness straight away got a stern and angry warning that for their personal safety's sake they quickly shrank out of sight and offended no more in that way. Sunday morning came. Next day, the battalions would leave for their front. The church was filled. The volunteers were there, their young faces alight with, with martial dreams, visions of the stern advance, the gathering momentum, the rushing charge, the flashing sabers, the flight of the foe, the, the tumult, the enveloping smoke, the fierce pursuit, the surrender. Then, home from the war, bronzed heroes, welcomed, adored, submerged in golden seas of glory. With the volunteers sat their dear ones, proud, happy, and envied by the neighbors and friends who had no sons and brothers to send forth to the field of honor, there to win for the flag, or failing, die the noblest of noble deaths. The service proceeded. A war chapter from the Old Testament was read. The first prayer was said. It was followed by an organ burst that shook the building. With one impulse, the house rose with glowing eyes and, and beating hearts and poured out that, that tremendous invocation. God the all-terrible, thou who ordainst, thunder thy clarion and lightning thy sword. Then came the long prayer. None could remember the like of it for passionate pleading and moving and beautiful language. The burden of its supplication was that an ever-merciful and benignant father of us all would watch over our noble young soldiers and aid, comfort, and encourage them in their patriotic work. Bless them. Shield them in the day of battle and the hour of peril. Bear them in his mighty hand. Make them strong and confident, invincible in the bloody onset. Help them to crush the foe. Grant to them and to their flag and country imperishable honor and glory. An aged stranger entered and moved with slow and noiseless step up the main aisle. His eyes fixed upon the minister, his long body clothed in a robe that reached to his feet, his head bare, his white hair descending in a frothy cataract to his shoulders, his seamy face unnaturally pale, pale even to gaspingness. With all eyes following him and wandering, he made his silent way. Without pausing, he ascended to the preacher's side and stood there waiting. With shut lids, the preacher, unconscious of his presence, continued with his moving prayer and at last finished it with the words uttered in fervent appeal. Bless our arms. Grant us the victory, O Lord our God, Father and Protector of our land and flag. The stranger touched his arm, motioned him to step aside, which the minister did, and took his place. During some moments, he surveyed the spellbound audience with solemn eyes in which burned an uncanny light. Then in a deep voice he said, 
I come from the throne bearing a message from Almighty God. The words smote the house with a shock. If the stranger perceived it, he gave no attention. He has heard the prayer of his servant, your shepherd, and will grant it, if such shall be your desire, after I, his messenger, shall have explained to you its import, that is to say, its full import. For it is like unto many of the prayers of men, in that it asks for more than he who utters it is aware, except he pause and think. God's servant and yours has prayed his prayer. He is, has he paused and taken thought? Is it one prayer? No. It is two. One uttered, the other not. Both have reached the ear of him who heareth all supplications, the spoken and the unspoken. Ponder this. Keep it in mind. If you would beseech a blessing upon yourself, beware, lest without intent you invoke a curse upon a neighbor at the same time. If you pray for the blessings of rain upon your crop which needs it, by that act you are possibly praying for a curse upon some neighbor's crop which may not need rain and can be injured by it. You have heard your servants pray. The uttered part of it. I am commissioned of God to put into words the other part of it. That part which the pastor, and also you in your hearts, fervently prayed silently, and ignorantly, and unthinkingly. God grant that it was so. You heard these words. Grant us the victory, O Lord our God. That is sufficient. The whole of the other prayer is compact into those pregnant words. Elaborations were not necessary. When you have prayed for victory, you have prayed for many unmentioned results which follow victory, must follow it, cannot help but follow it. Upon the listening spirit of God fell also the unspoken part of the prayer. He commanded me to put it into words. Listen. O Lord our Father, our young patriots, idols of our hearts, go forth to battle. Be thou near them, with them, in spirit. We also go forth from the sweet peace of our beloved firesides to smite the foe. O Lord our God, help us to tear the soldiers to bloody shreds with our shells. Help us to cover their smiling fields with the pale forms of their patriot dead. Help us to drown the thunder of the guns with the shrieks of their wounded writhing in pain. Help us to lay waste to their humble homes with a hurricane of fire. Help us to wring their hearts of their unoffending widows with unavailing grief. Help us to turn them out ruthless with little children to wander unfriended the wastes of their desolated land in rags and hunger and thirst, sports of the sun's flame of summer and the icy winds of winter, broken in spirit, worn with travail, imploring thee for the refuge of the grave and denied it. For our sakes who adore thee, Lord, blast their hopes, blight their lives, protract their bitter pilgrimage, make heavy their steps, water their way with their tears, stain the white snow with the blood of their wounded feet. We ask it in the spirit of love, 
of whom is the source of love and who is the ever faithful refuge and friend of all that are sore beset and seek his aid with humble and contrite hearts Amen After a pause ye have prayed it if ye still desire it speak the messenger of the Most High awaits. It was believed afterward that the man was a lunatic because there was no sense in what he had said. The spoken word event was broken into two sections, the first section featuring four performers and groups of performers, and then the second section was an open mic where members of the audience were invited to perform. Not all of the performers read poetry, and unfortunately not all of them were as close to my recorder as I would have liked. That's my bad, however, for placing it incorrectly. However, the final performer of the open mic managed to be heard despite this. His name is Creighton Hill, and he's a poet from Wheeling in his early 20s. According to Creighton, he had composed the poem he recites here the previous evening and then committed it to memory. I can personally attest that he was not reading this during his performance, and I didn't detect him skip a single beat or miss a rhyme. I can also attest there was not a dry eye in the house following his poem. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name's Creighton Hill. I grew up around here, uh, wheeling and everything. Um, I'm just going to read... Um, I wrote last night actually about uh, one of my best friends. That means 
During his training, he learned a new set of ABCs. Always be closing is what those three letters mean. So my father always keeps going at breakneck speed. And if he gets one sale, great. But he's not home free. No. My father's not home until he's home with my brother and me. Sitting on the couch watching pool get knocked out on UFC. Or sitting on the living room floor with my baby brother playing Batman and Barbie while Spongebob drones on about Krabby Patties on TV. No, my father's not home until he's cuddled up on the couch watching a comedy next to the woman who gave birth to me, as well as a daughter and two other sons, ages 26 to 3, all from the same union of matrimony, all from two people who still can't stand to be apart from each other for a couple days, let alone a week. And when my father's shift ends and he gets to leave, he'll go and pick up my sister and her friends from the movies. And on the way home, he'll grab us a couple cheeseburgers at Wendy's, just in case anybody at home is still hungry. Because telemarketing is a side job. My father's occupation title is Daddy. Now, my father's done some things that don't make sense to me. And occasionally, it's clear that we don't agree. There are a few situations where we see things differently. See, he's athletic, and I'm what they call artsy. Yeah, sometimes I get so angry. I got mad about the status of my family. I got mad to be called the poor kid in elementary. Back when I was so concerned about popularity, I got mad about the way the other kids treated me. I got mad in high school because I never knew that driver's seat. I didn't get a car on my street 16. I got mad about unpaid bills for cable TV. I got mad about winters in a house with no heat. I got mad about dinners with next to nothing to eat. And I got mad at my dad because my family was living in the neighborhood where there were crackheads and drug dealers right down the street. I got mad at my dad, but my dad never got mad at me. So even though my baby sis and my baby bro will grow on the south side of exit zero, my father's my hero. He will always be. My dad's a telemarketer, so please, don't be mean. If he calls and interrupts while you're trying to eat, don't cuss him out and flip out. Give him all kind of grief. The only reason my father interrupted your dinner is because he's got mouse to feed. Ben Creighton's applause went on for quite some time. I told him I'd have to do a special Father's Day podcast to include his poem, but I just couldn't wait to share it. We are, however, doing a special Mother's Day podcast in two weeks, and we'd like to include your Mother's Day writing as well. Just head to our website for all the details on how you can participate, podcast.wvwriters.org. Our opening voiceover was provided by Marcus Vowell. Our show's theme music is by Pops Walker. This podcast was produced by Mr. Herman's Production Company Limited and was assembled atop a hill in Mercer County.